Okay, well, I'm not going to say that it's been a while, because it's always been a while. Everybody knows also, it's been a while. I'm also not going to say that, uh, do we do this again? How do we do this again? Uh, not going to say those things. Not going to say those things. We're just going to imply them, because we've basically forgotten all the things that we wanted to talk about. Yeah, so Jonathan and I have spent the last hour, basically, <laughs> trying to think about what to talk about on today's episode. Uh, and instead of having a running list of things to talk about, we both kind of just scratched our heads and said, what are we supposed yeah. to, what was our last episode yeah. about? Don't I even couldn't remember. even remember. I thought it was the Joker. <laughs> no, it turns out we talked about adulting and going to museums. Yeah, yeah, that was, those were even my things that I wanted to talk about. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> I think at the time, if I remember well, I think it was like last November. That it we was talked. a while back. Uh, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, you know, it's not about regularity, you know. It's about depth of conversation right. and It's insight, an artistic you know? expression. Yeah, yeah. You know, art is not about... Well, actually, I'm reminded about the... Uh, like in Parks and Rec, when Ron Swanson uh, gets picked up by one of the, uh, like, Vogue... Uh, oh, object. yeah, for his chair. Yeah. <laughs> for his, cha- for his <laughs> chair. And they said, great, I'm going to make your thing a mass market appeal, whatever. And he said, but that's not what makes him a Swanson. What makes him a Swanson is that they take a long time to make. I that's can right. make maybe one or two a year. He's like, well, this is an artisanal craft, what we have going on here, Jonathan. <laughs> mm, yeah, maybe one or two a year. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, well, okay, so... This is the first one of 2020, so... It is the first one of 2020. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, since we last talked, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, (laughs) Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Uh, Yeah. Happy St. Stephen's Day. Mm -hmm. Um, And happy New Year. So I want to just say, just let the Tims know, the Jims, let anyone out there named Tim or Jim, anyone at all. (laughs) Yeah. Let anybody out there know. Uh, whatever your name may be, that Jonathan and I kind of had a hard time figuring out what to talk about this week. So uh, we had a break glass in case of emergency situation. Um, That's right. And we found some questions online to ask each other. That's right. And each of us picked only three. (laughs) (laughs) I was told three, and you picked like 12. Yeah, well, when I said pick three, I meant... (sighs) I mean, I would try. I would try. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you my first question because I think you're gonna like it. Okay, what do we do if we pick the same ones? You did not pick this one because <laughs> I went to a different website and picked different questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Jonathan, here's a question for you. Tell me. <laughs> Can't even ask it with a straight face. <laughs> Jonathan. What is the biggest waste of human potential? <laughs> Ooh, the biggest waste of human potential. Ooh. I love this question. Uh, I'm going to go with the <laughs> insane lengths that we've gone to produce dogs that look a certain way. Huh? What are you talking about? Oh, like breeding dogs? Yeah, all the time and energy that we've spent into making dogs that look like cotton balls. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I think Uh, that's pretty dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So how is that a a waste of human potential? Isn't that a waste of of human effort and time? Yeah, I mean, think of what we could have done with all of that Uh, research. 
and time and energy spent developing genetics and all of that fun stuff. I mean, genetics sure. is a whole topic that I, I think that's an interesting thing because, you know, is it a waste of, of potential to spend all of that time, time and energy into that? I don't know. Into like, in, well, yeah. So I, this is, a, this is interesting because I think that science for, well, okay, this is controversial, but science <laughs> for its own sake, I'm a little bit suspicious of, um, yeah. I am not suspicious of like human engineering and human ingenuity, like pushing the limits. Um, but if it's not curved by a certain need for like human flourishing apart from just mere progress, I worry that we're like to say playing God sounds a little bit trite, but like yeah. we're, I think going a little too far. So like for me, you know, some might say that like wasting human potential is like not doing enough of something, but like you're saying, I agree with you we waste human potential by maybe doing too much of one thing that we are, we should otherwise not be doing. So for me, it would have been like under that category, it would have been like space travel. <laughs> I think space travel may be just kind of a waste of our time. Uh huh. What do you think about that? About that particular thing? Yeah. I mean, like, is that a waste of our potential to be spending so much time worrying about traveling to other planets? Well, let me ask you my first question. <laughs> Do you think space tourism will be big in the near future? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I certainly hope not. And I don't imagine that it will ever be the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Near future is vague, of course. But I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't see it happening. I, I know that we love to fantasize about it. But yeah, man, we have not even put like a living being on another planet, you know, yeah. like. I think that the technology, so this is one of the reasons why I love the show The Expanse so much, and the seri I've been reading the books recently, and that's very good, and it, like, this is one of the first science fiction um, novels or shows that, what I imagine to be a realistic experience of what it would be like to be in space. Like, the ways that they okay. struggle with gravity, especially while they're in their ships, like, it is not a fun thing to go to pull a couple of Gs with zero gravity. Right, uh, right. And the and the length the lengths that they go to um, is kind of incredible. And one of the things sure. that they talk about in the book is, and I'd never even thought of this, but like half of the trip to a destination is spent accelerating, and then the second half you flip the ship around and are decelerating for the second half. What? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, because yeah. there's no atmosphere. How are you going to just stop? Well, you can't. Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think I've ever thought about that either. Um, um, so it's really neat. But anyway, I just don't know that the technology for space travel, period, much less space tourism, is there. And I don't know how, like, there's got to be some serious, like, paradigm shifts that happen before some of that stuff is even plausible as a reality oh absolutely I think so <coughs> but i so think it'd me, be really cool so i'm all I think for it'd it be cool too now okay so i don't think that there's anything like qualitatively different between space travel and just air travel specifically so like sure if we had the technology if it were possible 
Would there be anything wrong with it? No, not at all. Would there be anything suspicious about it? No, not at all. It's not as any more suspicious than me traveling to Spain to go study. Um, yeah. I I generally balk though at so I'm I'm pretty conservative when it comes to like science pushing the limits of human possibility just because I've I get nervous like I've seen Jurassic Park you know like I <laughs> I get nervous when we, <laughs> when we do things that just you because know, we can't a real a real thing right that was that was a movie it was a book and then made into a movie well I mean yeah but. <laughs> We do that kind of stuff all the time, yeah. right? Oh, Just yeah, because we can, you know? So there was a guy in the news last year from China, I think it was, that got in trouble because he, I think, like genetically modified an embryo to be a certain way or something like that and then implanted it in a host. Hmm. And he got in trouble because it's like, well, this is the first time anyone has ever tried this and you're tampering with the human genome. Yeah. Um, for me, there's a broader question with all this. You mentioned you started off with like humans genetically modifying yeah. Oh, yeah. animals um and then we pushed it to the question of like humans modifying or you know affecting change in our relationship to the natural universe yeah all of that is not necessarily wrong i just think it raises a deeper question about like our power to change nature mm -hmm. i think it should be limited by wisdom and not by well sure but that's never been the reality of the human condition. Um, what what I think is a really interesting way of thinking of this question of space um, is not so much like pushing the limit too far, which I'm against. I, I agree with you in that sense. Um, what is too far? Well, I, so what? Well, what I'm about to say, which I think the bigger thing that I that I'm concerned about with things like space travel. Um, is that we're not paying attention to what's in our own backyard. Sure. Like this sure. comes up all the time within, within the Society of Jesus, or really within most religious, um, a, a religious context. People are always going to Mexico, Central America, you know, Africa to do mission trips. Because you need to go a long way, spend a lot of money to have an encounter with the poor. And it's right. like, I will guarantee you that in the downtown of whatever city you're living in, there are poor people that need your help. Absolutely. And Absolutely. what are you doing to help them before you go and look, you know, a thousand miles away? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, it's it's not an either or, right? Because I do think that there is great value in like going places, you know, to experience different cultures and to yeah. experience different things. And if, you know, our technology has allowed us the opportunity and the possibility of doing things like that, great, good. Now, I just, I like I said, like I think prudence, prudential judgment, wisdom needs to reign here in terms of what is the limit of human ingenuity. Um, and I think that there's great prudential reasoning in what you said about like, okay, what are you after with those service immersion trips? Like, is it about actually helping the poor or is it about you doing yeah. like service tourism? Yeah. And if it's about the service tourism, then name it that. You know, right. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> sure. Sure. Now, I wasn't going to go the service route. I was actually going to go. What, one of the things that I get nervous about, and I'm going to sound a little bit preachy here, but I think that there's there's something to be said about like our obsession with travel as a culture or as a world now, as a you know global community. Like there's so much desire to tour the world and to see the sites. And I think partly because there's so much wealth in the middle class that a lot of people are able to travel now when they previously couldn't. Yeah. Um, where you're seeing a lot of these problems of like tourist attractions getting overwhelmed by tourists. Uh -huh. 
I find myself a little bit suspicious of a lot of that. And I know that, you know, I'm guilty because I live in a foreign country and I've <laughs> done some tourism recently. Um, but one thing that I was thinking about a lot when I was doing my tourism uh, or pilgrimage this winter uh, to some of the Ignatian sites was, you know, I don't need any of this. <laughs> yeah. So I don't need to go to Barcelona to have an experience, not of Barcelona, but to have an authentic experience of God. Like, what am I looking for in these places? Yeah, like, no, that's fair. So, like, if we go to space, what are we looking for there? Mm -hmm. If Or, like, you know, when you say, when we go to Mexico, what are we looking for there? Um, and there's value in these things. But the, the, uh, a spiritual director of mine once said to me, uh, quoting some Jesuit from the 16th century, he said, look, you can travel across an ocean, but you can never leave yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, to sound trite again, but the journey <laughs> inward is by far the most significant one. And yeah. like, why yeah. are we investing so much money on traveling out into space sure, when sure. we suck at traveling <laughs> inward to our interior life or into our backyard or whatever? Well, you know? And I think there's something deeper there. You know, that's you're getting at something that's that's been a part of humanity since since they were humans. I mean, we've always been a race of explorers. We've always set out to find something. Um, you know, and that's yeah. to do one of my favorite things. Let's bring it back to Tolkien. That's, that was the sin of Melkor and the Silmarillion. He was always going out to look for that flame eternal. All the while, it was right there with Iluvatar. Uh, and that's what oh, we do. Oh, sure. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and that's why, again, since the beginning of, you know, literature and people reading for fun, they've almost always been tales of exploration of the unknown and how, not just how humanity can conquer the unknown, but just that encounter with it, I think, has always mm. capt captivated the imaginations of human beings across the world yeah. and across time. Yeah. And truth be told, not just the tales, but the experience of traveling yourself, right? Like you find sure. yourself in some of the, well, the traveling. But, I, but see, I think that's where your point comes in because now the opportunity for individuals to have those adventures is at an all-time high. Whereas before, it was really only in, you know, um, in the little novels, and the comic books. It was only in these um, particular way that, that the regular person could experience that unknown. Yeah. And you now know, I say, money, man, anybody can go. But, but ironically, and this is going to sound really, you know, like broad strokes over generalization. <laughs> um, do people really find themselves when they travel so much? Like what yeah. what are people finding? Like I so I I have a certain allergy and again, I recognize the hypocrisy. I've done some <laughs> tourism recently, like I get it. Um, but while I'm in these places, I often think to myself like I'm usually by myself uh, for one. And for me a lot of times it's religious experience uh, places that are tied to some sort of, you know, meaningful place for me. Like, I try to wonder, what are people getting out of, like, doing a six-day, like, whirlwind tour of the city of Rome mm -hmm. and, like, checking all of the boxes, you know, and taking all the selfies in all the right places, feeding the gram as much as possible, <laughs> all for the sake of, I think, just saying that you went? Well, it goes back to our conversation in the last episode about how the museum experience is just about consuming the next thing. It's yeah. about being able to say you went to see the Van Gogh or the Da Vinci. It's not yeah. about actually yeah, yeah. standing in the presence of masters and of beauty. Right. 
Right. I mean, generalizing, obviously. Yeah. I guess I, I do have a question, and I, I think that your analogy is a really good one there. I, I do wonder, and I'd like to ask people who do a lot of traveling, like, what do you get out of it? Like, what is, why do you yeah. have this obsession with traveling? Um, like, I could ask my, my brother. My brother travels a lot, and he likes to travel, and I, I'd be curious to have a conversation with him. It's like, why in your lifetime is there a value placed on seeing as many places as possible? Um, but I think he's not alone in that. I do that too. He and I actually have a running bet about who's <laughs> going to see the most countries before we die. Um, you know, but like, what is it about humans? And maybe this is going back to my initial question. What is the biggest voice of human potential? Mm. It's like, well, why are we spending so much time going places <laughs> and are just so restless? Yeah. You know, going there, checking boxes, seeing yeah. the Van Gogh, seeing the David, saying I did it. Yeah. And then coming back, feeding the gram, and then what are you left with? You know, who are you? Yeah, I'd be hesitant just to say that this is a misplaced use of human potential. Um, because we have been given this world to experience and to enjoy. And I am, I'm thinking of this particular movie. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's not the, what's that guy's name? Martin Sheen book. Bill. Uh, <laughs> Martin Sheen movie on the Camino Santiago. It's the other one. Martin <laughs> is his name Martin Sheen? No, his name yeah. is uh, Martin Sheen. Martin. No, his name not is Martin Sheen. Sheen. Martin Estevez. His last. His no, that's <laughs> Charlie Emilio. Sheen. Charlie <laughs> yeah. Sheen and Martin Martino Estevez. No, what is it? Charlie Sheen. No, you gotta and... listen to me. You're wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. Is his name it's... Martin Sheen? Yes. <laughs> He's the guy from West Wing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. okay. He's got a movie uh, about the Camino, and this is not, I've not seen that one, but I've seen the other one about the Camino Santiago. And it's really not a, like, um, it's, you don't, you're not following people that are religiously motivated um, mm -hmm. explicitly. I think there is a religious motivation that underlies all of people's desires to go on pilgrimage. And I think that may be the root of our, um, of why what we're experiencing now with just traveling and globalization and all that stuff. Like there, there's a desire, a holy desire for pilgrimage. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in that. But anyway, to my yeah. point yeah. of um, all of these people that really find a deep spiritual understanding of themselves, and maybe they're not at the moment right then that they could name God, um, or point to any, or point to, to Jesus, but it's getting, it's opening the door. Um, and the challenge, sure, the sure. challenge is not just to stay in that, in the, in the entryway to say, oh, this, you know, this, you know, it gets kind of hippy dippy, um, new agey when you just stay there and say, oh, it's just, you know, the cosmic spiritual blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, there, you know, you're, you're, you're recognizing something, but go deeper, find find what you're looking for. Um, yeah, yeah. See, but you don't need to go across the ocean to find that. No, um, no, no, no. And you don't even, and again, this goes back to the, our use of our imagination. Like, you can have a pilgrimage experience by reading a book. Exactly. By yeah. looking at that painting, even a reproduction of a painting. Right. Um, or finding yeah. an actual pilgrimage where you live. Go for a, a walking holiday. Sure. Again, so I think maybe it just all kind of summarizes for me in like, what's the end in mind? And if the end in mind is just merely going to the place for the sake of having gone, yeah, is it consumption? then to me that's, 
that's a waste of, of human potential. Hmm. Um, we're made for so much more than that. And yeah. it's an experience of transcendence. And I think we try to imitate that by going outside of our comfort zone and visiting a foreign place. But really, how uncomfortable are you when you go to another, like someone leaving, you know, New York City to go on holiday in Rome? It's like, are you really going out of your comfort zone here? Like, <laughs> you know, is it really an experience of transcendence? And maybe there could be. God can certainly intervene. But I just, I go back to what you just said. Like, there's some, something about consuming experiences rather than experiencing, you know, God or experiencing, you know, the transcendent beauty, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think there's something to be said there. And I, to put it back in space travel, I think that space <laughs> travel would be another image of that. It's like, what are we trying to escape? Like, I would just, I would be the guy wanting to know why we're so obsessed with leaving. Why, yeah. Like, like, I get it. There's the, there's the, you know... The, design, the exploration impetus within us. Yeah. But man, like... There's a desire for the unknown. Sure. But there's a lot of things unknown here. I <laughs> We don't know how to cure cancer. Like, we don't know, you know, we don't know what's at the bottom of the ocean. Like, yeah. we don't know... I don't we know. Don't even, I think there's something very... We, we don't even know what a virus really is. <laughs> yeah. I just think there's something really sexy about outer space. Yeah. And I think... You know? Well, yeah. And I think you're right. And that's part of... Um, yeah, I think that's part of the appeal that we want to do what's what's hot. We want to do what's what's fashionable, and right now, sure, that kind of stuff Space. is the final frontier. It's, ah, you said it before I could. Um, <laughs> cool. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. So we did so like two I've asked questions a, with that. We just did two questions. How about that? <laughs> uh, all right. So my turn. You already asked your question, so I get to ask you another question. Um, I want to know from you. Um. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, if only you had three questions and you could just go down the list. <laughs> Do you have a question in mind already? Because I've got literally looking at my other two. <laughs> okay, fine. Go ahead. All right. So number two. What would growing up in an ideal family environment look like? And do you think that anyone grew up in an ideal family environment? Okay, I think by definition, the second question is no, um, <laughs> because ideal implies not real, mm -hmm. right? So if it's not real, then no one has experienced it, because yeah. you can't experience something that's not real, um, which is an interesting, you know, conclusion to draw, just because people have that criticism of religious yeah. experience, you yeah. know? that you can't experience that which is not real, which is my point as a believing person, is that I believe that God is real. Um, yeah. Any, anyway. But then uh, putting it point. in context of that first question, like I think there is a lot of ways that people can have an, an ideal family environment that is very real. Uh, is it always going to be perfect? Or, so that's a question. Well, is yeah, ideal that, well, always sure, perfect? Okay. This is this is what this is where we get into the problem of semantics. Like, what what does the word ideal mean for yeah. us in this context? Like the plat Platonic ideal, which is a family devoid of imperfection or something. Um, I wouldn't call that know, ideal. One, see, okay, or we can call it ideal if it is most <laughs> conducive to that which families are intended to be mm -hmm. or to produce. Yeah, so which like, is we. Okay, so we could ask the question. What is the ideal family? Well, the ideal family, to say it's ideal means that it's best suited to achieve its end. And then it raises the question about what is the end of the family? 
And if we can answer that question, then we can start to answer the question whether or not there are families that exist that can achieve that end. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Right? Are you with me so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think that the end of family life is, I mean, it's hard for either of us, you know, full disclosure, it's hard for either of us to have this conversation without becoming religious really quickly because well, these are all very big, these are all very big questions that lead, lead us immediately to the transcendent. And like the goal of family life, if I were to maybe bracket the transcendent for a second, the goal of family life is to survive and to flourish, uh -huh. perhaps. Um, you know, so like if I were to keep it completely like on the terrestrial biological, it's to perpetuate life and it's to uh, have that life flourish. And so part of that is instruction. Part of that is certainly like vital needs like food and shelter and clothing, but mm -hmm. then instruction in survival, but instruction and in also goodness, truth, beauty, etc. Yeah. for the sake of becoming intelligent, capable, wise members of society. Um, yeah, and then, you know, if you bring back in the transcendent, which I already kind of did, you start asking questions about what is the human being made for? And ultimately that's God. And if the answer is God, then the family also has a very clear role in educating people in the faith. And at least as Christians, that's what we believe, you know? So, yeah. yeah, so does these ideal family exist? Well, if the goal of the family is the flourishing of the individuals or the holiness of the individual members, then I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> well, I, I think, think every family is capable, certainly, of achieving that end, even through all of its yeah, absolutely ups and, and that's, downs, right? And that's and and that's exactly <clears throat> what I was, um, what I was thinking. You know, like, and this is why, why uh, philosophy, something like philosophy, is so important. That actually gets you thinking about what is ideal, what is flourishing. You know, all of these questions. Um, you know, this goes back to what I like to, one of my favorite things with Aristotle is, um, is this quest for excellence. And I always bring it back to how a, a sport here, a sport, um, what do you call them? Athlete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a sporter. <laughs> uh, how athletes become great. It's by putting in the hours and losing a lot. Like mm. you don't become excellent without being broken first. And if we try right. to take out that step, that initial, that crucial step, of being broken, of failing, then um, then how can you hope to be excellent? Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. So, like, ideal does not have to mean perfect, right? So, this reminds me of the Matrix, right? So, like, when the guy, when Neo talks to the architect, uh -huh. oh, the yeah. architect says, you know, you had we to, began... You had to put the flaws in. Yeah, because he tried to make the first Matrix as a paradise, and we, re we rejected, <laughs> we in rejected, quote, unquote, yeah. you know, we... You know, and so uh, actually, I just got the reference to Eden. I didn't think about that before. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah, and then they had to introduce the flaws. Now, clearly, that's where it departs from the Christian narrative because sure. God did not introduce right. sin. But right. um, yeah, without the imperfections, there's no growth in perfection, right? And I mean, I, like yeah. without well, and I think that's without exactly the friction. Why without the friction, there's no. Yeah, you have to keep it. I mean, this is so. This is the problem, I think. If I can pontificate for a minute, on well, I already did like for you five. Did. Well, so <laughs> but I'm gonna, you know, where you didn't want to get explicitly religious. I think that's the problem that we've tried to remove the transcendent so far from our the way that we think and the way that we reason with the world 
that we replace it with things like things. <laughs> um, yeah. And you try to imagine the ideal family or the ideal environment as a thing with lots of things that take up all this space that you, you don't have to worry about things. And it's like, no, that's the exact opposite of what the ideal human environment looks like. Mm-hmm. Precisely mm-hmm. because you've taken that transcendent away, that thing to strive for. And you've tried right. to put it in in the human person. It's yeah. trying to create yeah. our own incarnation. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. That's good. So answer your own question. Does the <laughs> ideal family exist? I think absolutely it does. And I think I grew up in one. Was it easy? Was it always pleasant? Absolutely not. But it was ideal in that it was ideal for accomplishing the end of family life, which, which is to yeah. make you and a it, better person. Personally, yeah. I would not be who I was, who I am, without my family and my home environment. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think, unfortunately, there's... The thing with family life is that there can be a limit to, like, the friction. Like, the friction is helpful. Like, when you live... Like, you and I experience this in community life. You know, there's friction that exists that is healthy for growth. Because yeah. without friction, there cannot be growth. Um, but well, sometimes the friction can go to the breaking point And people can have toxic oh, absolutely. and abusive family lives, you know? I mean, again, go back um, to Aristotle. We've got to find that mean. Hmm. Um, is it going to the extremes? That's not healthy. You know, there are plenty right. of broken families. We all have experiences of, of broken families. Um, and that's a tragedy. Right. Because they've taken what was good and, and well, broken it. <laughs> As the name yeah. implies. Sure, sure. Um, no, that's good. That's good. I like that. That's a really good question. Um, it's got me thinking. You're welcome. Um, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> uh, good, 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 good. All right. I have a question for you. Can I ask my second question? You, you can ask your second <laughs> question. Uh, all right. Let me find it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. Should... No, that's not what I wanted to ask. Okay. Dang, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. Okay. Actually, I want to ask you this question, but I'm just afraid because I don't know how to answer it myself. So mm, I'm curious. Well, ask. Okay. What harsh truths do you prefer to ignore? Ooh. <laughs> 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 mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Like, it makes me uncomfortable to try and answer this question. Well, what are some harsh truths? Maybe we should just start there. Okay, so like global warming is a harsh truth yeah. that some choose to ignore it, you know? Yeah. Um, you're going to die. That's a harsh <laughs> truth that mm. some people choose to ignore. Yep. Um, God exists. That's a harsh <laughs> truth that some choose some to ignore. Some people ignore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, truth is objective. Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, or that there some is people, truth in the world. Yeah. Uh, some people are better than others. I don't know. Mm. Is that true? Um, yeah, it is. Inequality you're exists. Not, inequality exists. You're not going to get... You're not... How about, oh, uh, here we are. Here. So free, freedom we, isn't free. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you and I were born into a country where the education system had us believe that you could be anything that you wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a harsh truth. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be yeah. anything you want to be. Um, what else is a harsh truth? Uh, 
yeah, I don't know. Those are some harsh truths. Is there, mm. are, are any of those, do you choose to ignore those? <laughs> uh, well, apparently, because I don't think of them that often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I choose to ignore the, you can't be, you don't have to be whatever you can. So the truth is that you won't be whatever you want to be. Yeah. And I, and I believe that. But I choose to not think about that because I feel like it stifles my like my freedom or something. Yeah. Like it stifles my my creativity or something. I'd rather live with the delusion that I can be anything that I want to be. Yeah. Because um, I feel like it keeps me motivated. Well, um, I mean, but like we're we're doing exactly what we do want to do, which is to be Jesuits and to become priests. Right. Right. Well, but what changed is my desire. So, like, well, I think okay, when you tell so there kids, it is, yeah. So, what did you want to be when, when you grew up? See, yeah, that's a good question. So, like, when I was a kid, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I probably wanted to be a doctor on one day and then a firefighter yeah. the next day, and then, you know, at some point I wanted to be a teacher, but then I wanted to be. I think very young though. By the time I was thirteen, I knew I wanted to be a priest. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And that certainly hasn't changed, but my conception of priesthood has changed. Uh Um, You know, I no longer want to be like, I remember when I was a kid, like I had these weird delusions of like being a very influential priest or, Mm. you know, maybe being a bishop or like, what would that be like? And having these weird aspirations of like having influence in the church. And after a while, it's like, no, I just, I don't, my, my desire changed. I don't want any of that. Yeah. You know, if I'm, if I think back to, one of the more consistent ones when I was a kid would be um, a paleontologist because dinosaurs are cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> and then recognizing that, like, I'm really bad at math. <laughs> and You came to a harsh realization there, huh? Yeah, so that may be a harsh truth that my dream... And this is true still. I mean, like, that's, that is a great regret of mine that I didn't... Was I don't know what the reason was. I we've had this conversation before, and people that just, that say, um, "I just can't do art," upset me, as I'm sure that the people that say I can't do math upset you. Because you, uh, yeah, because you cause say you that pe- it just everybody takes a lot can of practice. do. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. And so I don't know what the consequent or <clears throat> things that ended in me being really bad at math were. Um, sure. But yeah me being a scientist was not in the cards. <laughs> so it was a harsh truth for you to accept that. Yeah. That you and can't still, be like I wish that I was good at math because mm. all the people that figure the things out in movies are like, oh, it's a math thing. <laughs> They're never the painters, right? The painters are <laughs> yeah, exactly. always the ones that are ca- causing problems. They never solve them. Exactly, exactly. All right. Um, well, maybe this question doesn't have a lot of traction then. So, but like, I, think a, to, I think to the point though is... You know, I preached about this not too long ago. Like, what's the difference between being childlike, which is what Jesus wants us all to be, and being childish? Hmm. And so perhaps when we've got these distorted understandings of reality, it's not us, you know, dreaming big. It's us forgetting reality. Hmm. Um, You know, the child, and that's being childish. Yeah, and so the harsh truth is growing up, you know? Um, and so, like, well, harsh, the harsh truth, truth is we... growing up, but still maintaining that childlike... Um... But choosing to ignore the harsh truth is being childish. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Ooh, know, uh, yeah, I like being that. child being childlike is recognizing that there are harsh truths, but that you have a loving father in heaven. That... Yeah, and that you still have so much potential as a human being. Yeah, no, I like this. This is good. All right, man. So I think we have time for one more question because I got to go to my late dinner. Okay. I live in Spain. We eat dinner <laughs> at like 10 p.m. Uh, okay. Okay, well, it's your turn. It's your turn. All right. Turn. Well, here's my third question since I picked three. Like I was asked <laughs> to. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, is beauty only in the eye of the beholder or can we say some things are universally beautiful? God, I hate this question. <laughs> uh, it's such a hard question to answer. Yeah. Like, I know what the answer is supposed to be. Like, the answer is supposed to be, no, beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is objective. Uh-huh. But I just don't understand that. Like, I... Like, are you forgetting your favorite movie that we share in common? Liar, liar. Batman vs. Superman? Oh, no, liar, no, liar. No. <laughs> what does he uh, say to no, his kid? <laughs> oh, that's just something ugly people say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, well, I, I'm inclined, like, the philosopher, you know, and Catholic in me needs to say, must say that, you know, beauty is a transcendental and it's an aspect of God and that everything yeah. participates in beauty. Um, but it's just really hard as a human being to say that and mean it. Because, like, how do you, like, what do you, how does this play out? Like, I, I think where I where I have hesitations with this question is that it tends to breed snobs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're quick to know? say, well, this thing clearly is. And that thing that you like, no, that's not because it's gross. Oh, um, I got to tell you, like, I've lived this in my life when I tell people that I don't get classical music. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't yeah. get it. I prefer jazz. I think jazz is awesome. I think classical music is interesting and sometimes fun i guess or interesting to listen to but i just don't really i have no yeah. attraction to it and when people tell me like no no no, but like listen to mozart it's beautiful i feel like they're telling me that i'm broken yeah and and i feel judged and i know that's not a feeling it's an accusation but like i oh yeah anyway well I have a hard as time somebody that. that likes heavy metal that's my world yeah so how do you answer that i mean you're the artist <laughs> you know i think it goes back to this question of uh or this conversation we just had about the ideal. Um, you know, is there is there a thing that takes the work out of appreciating something beautiful? Wait, was that a sentence? <laughs> Say that again. Is there... Uh, is there a sense... Hmm, how, how do I want to phrase this? Um, I, I'm hesitant... I share your frustrations, A. Um, and I think that there's a desire in people's minds to simplify everything and just say, you know, most people like pop music. That's why it's called pop. So we can just agree that that's yeah. the beautiful thing. Right. And if you don't like it, then you're the, you know, you're the, the variable in this equation. Right. Um, but I... But I do struggle with that because I don't like pop music. Right. Uh, yeah. Can I and, recognize and to be the fair, beauty of the music and how... Well, to be fair, some people would say that pop music is not beautiful. Like, it's it's made to be consumed, you yeah. know, and... <clears throat> or that even that article beautiful. that you sent me about... Um, who is that guy? Scorsese? With the oh, Marvel yeah, yeah, movies? Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, just because it makes a lot of money doesn't mean it's a, a movie. Or that, here we go, even that conversation, I just had a, kind of a cheeky one when I was visiting the novices um, about the distinction between movies and film. 
which I sure, hate. Sure. Because what does that even mean? And I was like, okay, yeah. well, the majority of movies are not even made on film anymore. And so we, do we just call <laughs> the ones that are made on film films? It's like, I don't really right. understand what you're trying to say with that. Right, 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 um, right. What you're trying to say is, this is a movie that I like, so I'm going to call it a film. No, no, because Scorsese, what he was saying is that these are movies that are made, made to be consumed, not movies that are... It's a difference between art and not art, right? Like there's... <laughs> and this is this is just this question. This just gets us back into the same rut of yeah. like... how. You know, the question about beauty is a question about art because art, by definition, seems to be implied whenever whenever we talk about beauty because art is in the business of making beautiful things, <laughs> I think, you know, and so... Sometimes. Sometimes it makes things to shock you into not thinking about yourself. Yeah, but beauty should be shocking, shouldn't it? I mean, like, yeah, you yeah. know, the, there's there's something about... We have to get our words and our definitions in order here. Like, what does it mean to be beautiful? And right. what does it mean to create art? Yeah, I and mean, it is a question that's perennial for us. Um, you know, for Thomas, to be beautiful is to be something that has harmony, that has consonance, that has illuminosity, that has, you know, these different... It has integrity. So all these different things, which are all aspects of the truth and are all aspects of goodness itself. And Yeah. Wonderful. Great. And it should shock. It should, you know, make you stand in awe of something beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. And it pulls you out. And so in that sense, it's like, well, I guess one way to answer the question, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder or not, is to say, yes, it is. Because only the people who have eyes to see it can see it. Everyone else is blind to it. So in that sense, yes. It's only in the eyes of the beholder because if the beholder is tuned to the beautiful. But yeah. again, it goes back to that snobbiness of like, <laughs> how do you yeah. not then say that some people are just uncultured? Because right. so anyway, I, I don't think know. I think um, the the second for me at least the second part of this question kind of helps to focus this um, this well this question. Can we say that some things are universally beautiful? Well. No, because God is beauty, but we can say that some things share in that universal goodness or beauty. Um, and so I would say that in a, insofar as it, as it points in that direction, C.S. Lewis, I think it was in The Great Divorce, said, things are good insofar as they look, point towards God, and bad insofar as they turn away. Sure, now, same thing with the beautiful. Yeah, and that's going to look differently for certain people. But like, if you're finding, so I guess the question is, as, as is for all of these questions, well, what's the end? Like, is mm. this just a thing that you do because it makes you feel good? Or is this, you know, like with me and heavy metal, like, is this a thing that, um, that I sit in awe at times and wonder and in wonder and awe of the, of the incredible talentedness that we have been given. Yeah. Like that's yeah. pointing to something transcendent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think you're onto something and I, so I agree sense, with it. So in a beauty like, is only in the eye of the beholder, but only insofar as it points towards God, who is beauty. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's simple to give you, like I could simply just give you the traditional formulation, right? Like, you know, the... 
you know, a thing is beautiful insofar as it participates in the form of beauty, which is an attribute of the transcendent who is God himself. Right? Like, so same thing with truth, you know, that something is true insofar as it participates in the transcendent aspect, the, the, tra the transcendent truth, capital T. Um, and in something is insofar as it's participating in goodness itself is good. Um, I just don't know how to flesh that out, like how to flesh that out in a lived experience. Um, because people want to look at a blank canvas and say that's beautiful. And I just want to say, no, that's just not beautiful at all. Like, I don't know. Well, I'm um, trying to find this quote by, oh, man, why does it always, I always have a hard time finding this. It's a Flannery O'Connor yeah. quote. Um, oh, about the land of the deaf? No. Um, in the on. land of the deaf, people have to speak loudly and... In the land of the blind, people make broad gestures. No, she's she's talking specifically about. Okay, let me pull up the book. I bought the book just for this one quote. Let me call that up <laughs> for this moment, right now. For this very moment, yeah. No, she's talking yeah. about the Christian work and what that actually means. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I will say while you're looking for that, as a general principle, I do not have the final word on this, and I. I still really struggle with this question just because I know I have felt hurt or that's still not a feeling. I, I have felt sad when people, you know, criticize jazz, for example, um, and say that it's lowbrow or it's not really beautiful. It's just noise. And then always tend to point to, you know, Michelangelo or yeah. to Mozart and say, no, that's beauty. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I do want to draw a distinction between art and propaganda. Uh, you know, and I think that your your insistence on the end of the thing matters. Like, mm -hmm. what is its intended purpose? If the intended purpose is to convince me of a proposition, then it's not art and it's not beautiful. It's merely propaganda. So if you put up something just to prove a point, if you say, you know, then it's just power. Like, I, I taped this banana to the wall because I can. <laughs> That's not art. Right. That's just the so, will to power. Right. You know? So this, um, this oh, continue. Keep going. No, just finish this one point. So then for me, the, the intention behind Michelangelo's David is just he just he just can't help himself but want to show the beauty of this form. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, he's he's annoyed with himself until it's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it's not really to serve any purpose. He's not making money off of it, per se. Like it's not it's not an end in itself. It, it is an end in itself. And I guess in a sense, because it's beautiful. Um, you know, a true proposition is a good in itself. Um, yeah, I don't know. So this, I think this, this quote may help you. Um, so Flannery O'Connor says this all, she's been talking about, you know, what is a Catholic novel? She says, this all means that what we roughly call the Catholic novel is not necessarily about a Christianized or Catholicized world, but simply that it is one in which the truth as Christians know it has been used as a light to see the world by. So all of those uh, things yeah. in the novel, in the world, are they seen through the light, through the lens of Christ? And can they, uh, can they, can Christ be seen? Can that light be seen in the world? Yeah. How does that help in, me? In these, <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that's the end. That's what, that's what yeah. uh, Michelangelo sees in that block of marble. Yeah. You know, when I when I see, for example, when I saw, what did I see recently? Like, um, 
when I saw okay, when I saw Bernini's uh, Teresa of Avila in Ecstasy, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see Bernini at all. Um, I didn't even remember his name. I yeah. just he completely faded away. Yeah, all I saw was the look on her face, and I saw the angel with the arrow, and all I could think about was all honestly, all I could think about was God in the moment. Yeah. Um, and that's different than like the the Banksy pieces that are you know all the rage. Is all I think of when I see those is Banksy, right? You know, because he's this person who just is trying to evoke something in people by being provocative. Yeah. Um, and all I think about is him. You know. Anyway, yeah, no, I think good, there's something decision. there of like. You know, about is it pointing to something beyond itself or is it pointing to the person who made it? And if it's pointing to the person who made it and their beliefs and it's propaganda and it's not art and it's not beautiful, yeah, um, it's merely just power, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, yeah, this is good. This is good. It's going to be good to, to go back to it uh, later. I got to run to dinner, though. I apologize to cut it short, but I got a few more questions here that we could bring up for our next conversation. All right. Sounds good. All right, man. Peace out. See you.